Hey, welcome back to the More With Nikki Dutton podcast. I'm grateful that you're spending a little bit of your day with us today. You get to meet my best friend, Rachel Krause, one of my closest friends. We have known each other for the last 13 years, so all the way from fresh out of high school, 18 years old, to today, 30 and 31, with a kid and with a marriage. It's just been a whole lot of life that we've lived between these years and I am just so grateful to know her. Our conversation today is a big one and a big part of what we will talk about alongside our friendship and all of the other things of life is we're going to be telling Rachel's story. She will be telling her story of recovering from addiction. And that is not something that I hold lightly or that she holds lightly. I understand how many of us have family members and friends who are currently in active addiction, whether that is an alcoholic, substance abuse, or any other kind of addiction. I also recognize that there are likely some of us listening who maybe are struggling on our own terms, whatever that could look like for you. Uh, Maybe there's an aspect of your life that you do feel like has kind of gotten a little out of hand. And like Rachel says, um, you're not able to put that lid on as well as you used to be able to. And I just want you to know that the hope and the heartbeat here is that you will hear a story, a real life, real time story of someone who is in the active recovery process, that she has chosen hope, that she has chosen life, and that she has chosen uh, to take the steps and to do what is needed to remain in active recovery. I could not be more proud of Rachel. And she also brings just a very well-educated perspective on the topic of addiction. And so wherever you find yourself, I hope that this conversation brings you hope. And if nothing else, you will just be so inspired by my powerful, wonderful, amazing friend, Rachel Krause. At Resera, they believe that jewelry should be meaningful. Every piece is designed with this in mind to serve as a daily reminder of important values, stories, or people in your life. That's exactly what my necklace is. I have this gold necklace that's a little circle and it has a dot, dot, dot on it. And it's a part of the Stephanie Bear collection and it's meant to be a marker for this season of hopeful expectation as Scott and I are in the waiting of adding children to our family. And I love it so much. And it's been such a beautiful thing to have during this time. And I love that Rosera has become a partner of this podcast because if you shop their jewelry online, which I highly recommend for yourself or for a birthday or any holiday coming up for a lady in your life, you are not only getting a beautiful piece of jewelry, but you're also supporting a powerful mission. Rosera's mission is to employ and empower women of survivors of homelessness and domestic violence. They offer makers a living wage one-on-one financial counseling, food and clothing assistance, and referrals to free mental health counseling. So don't wait. Visit www.resera.com slash Nick Dutton or use promo code Nick Dutton for 15% off of your purchase and show me what you decide to buy. Again, that's www.resera.com slash N-I-K-K-D-U-T-T-O-N or use promo code Nick Dutton for 15% off of your first Resera purchase. All right, Rachel, I know you very, very well. But for anyone who doesn't know you, who haven't been friends with you for almost 13 years, how would you introduce yourself? Like, who are you? What do you do? And what does your life normally look like? 
Well, um, I'm Rachel and I live in Virginia. Um, I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, I am a mom to a six-year-old little girl who is wild and full of life. Um, I'm a mental health professional, uh, so I work with uh, adults and children right now uh, in a mental health setting and um, in the community. And uh, I'm a person in recovery, uh, so that's kind of some of the main roles like that are my life. Um, but what my life looks like on a daily basis is uh, a lot of busyness, a lot of craziness um, between work and being a mom. Um, my daughter's in dance, so we stay busy with that too. Um, and spending time with my boyfriend and my dogs. Um, and I'm also in the process of starting helping form a, a nonprofit. Uh, so that has also been an added thing in my life that has been really cool to, um, to watch unfold and be a part of. Uh, but it definitely between all of it, it keeps me very busy. <laughs> Yeah, I smiled whenever you said that your daughter is in dance because we were together for her birthday recently and she <laughs> was doing her little performance for us and then also pulled oh, out yeah. her video to show. She wanted us to like all see her. I think it was her Christmas performance was the one that had been videotaped. But yep. um, just, yeah, she's full of life. And we'll talk more about her for sure because we can't yeah. not. Um, <laughs> but I had mentioned that we've been friends for, I, I did the math. We've been friends for 13 years at this point, which is That's kind wild. of insane. Yeah, we've seen each other through a lot of seasons. So we met right after high school. Um, but I was just trying to think about like over these last 13 years of friendship through leaving high school, college, first steps of being adult, like what are some of the things you think we've learned about each other in these last 13 years of friendship? Oh, boy. Um you and I are really different. <laughs> yeah. um, you're one of those like unlikely friends. I'm not, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised that we are still friends <laughs> after yeah. 13 years. I I hope that's not offensive. No. Oh my gosh. No. Um, At this point, it would be hard to offend me. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> True. But um, yeah, like I think I was thinking about, I was thinking about you and like, I was thinking about all the seasons that we've been a part of each other's lives. And like, it's been so many different seasons, um, through, through leaving high school and, uh, into college and, um, after college and figuring out what life looks like as an adult and in the real world with jobs and, me becoming a mom and you becoming a wife. And um, there's just been so many different seasons. And I think our friendships look different through just about every one of those seasons. Um, but I was thinking, I was thinking about something that like, I always appreciated about you, but would always like amaze me was the fact that you were so adaptable in like, every situation, every um, life change that you went through, it was like you adapted so well. Um, 
but you also had this like steadfastness about you of like, that's Nikki. Like, it's just, it's Nikki. And Nikki was just always there. And um, you always happen to be a part of my life when <laughs> things hit the fan. Yeah, when things um, hit the fan. <laughs> yeah, when things hit the fan. We'll keep it PG. Yeah. Um, no, but like, it, you just have always been uh, someone for me. I knew I could call you at any time. And uh, you were just there, even if you couldn't be there physically. And there were times that you made sure you were there physically uh, for me when you didn't have to or when your life was crazy or busy. And um, there have been times where I've been able to come be there for you and uh, in your times that you need me. And I think that's just the beautiful thing. I think the older you get, the more you realize friendships change and that's not a bad thing that's not something that um speaks on a person's character but that as life gets busier and um you have a husband and you know I have a daughter and uh we both have careers and all these things we can't we can't give as much of our time to one another but we make it count when yeah. we do have time. Yeah, and I think that's totally. the really beautiful thing about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is, I think our friendship is so unique that way because it just has seen so many seasons. And like you said, like I can remember us being freshmen at Liberty or like sophomores <laughs> or transfers, whatever we were, and just like roaming around and just like <laughs> causing havoc a little bit. <laughs> like just... I don't know, just floating around campus, honestly. Yeah. Do you remember that time when we decided we were going to start making vines? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up Pizza Hut. <laughs> you were going to talk about, because I I prize myself, like I have a podcast. I prize myself <laughs> on being like an effective and concise communicator. Like I can walk into a situation and be like, this is what we need. This is what's got to happen. <laughs> and we were ordering pizza as college students and on this like campus pizza hut. And I swear it was like I was speaking an alien language and just, it was just so comical <laughs> like and I just remember you laughing and I also remember when we had our marriage and family because you were obviously a psych major and I was a psych minor so we got to share some classes together which was also a little bit of trouble and we would just like sit yep. in the back corner oh uh, yeah I mean oh. There's a lot of stories. And like, you're right. We've just, even though our friendship has seen so many seasons and we've adapted so much there, we've also just been there at these high moments and and these, and also the really low moments, like the parts that were just really, really important. Like I have all the funny memories, but I also remember like the night before Scott and I got married, like us sitting in the bathroom at the guest house and you were like sitting up on the counter with a couple of like my close friends. And we were just talking about like life and marriage and what was going on. And of course, like you brought one of the greatest gifts into the world, which is our <laughs> little Raylan. And so um, how has it been like being her mom? Like talk about a little bit who she is and just kind of what that process has been like. Um, well, I don't think we have enough time for <laughs> all of that um, and what that has brought to my life. But uh, yeah, Raylan 
she, like I said, she's six years old. And, um, you know, Raylan was unexpected. And she was a, a beautiful surprise. <laughs> yep. Yep. She was. Uh, that's exactly what she was. And um, she's taught me so much about myself. First of all, because I feel like I'm raising a little Rachel and it's uh, <laughs> a little terrifying. It's humbling. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very humbling. Um, I will say she is more stubborn than I was as a child, but I guess she got like my adult trait of stubbornness um, at an early age. <laughs> yeah, she's so, I get told all the time, um, you know, everyone loves their, loves their kid. I mean, everyone yeah, like, thinks she's actually is... special, <laughs> <laughs> but like, she's like no, kind of the best. I, I get, I get stopped a lot. Um, by strangers, um, people that have watched Raylan and I from a distance for for years, um, they tell me like Raylan has something unique about her. Like there's something, um, and I don't know if that's like a specific calling or um, just the life that radiates from her, but. She is such a bright child um, and so lovable. She's hilarious. <laughs> she is. Um, <laughs> she's too smart uh, for her own good, to be honest. She, abs- she absolutely <laughs> is. I, I say she's six going on 16 um, yeah. because there are times that she does act like she's 16. Yeah. Um. And I'm trying to bring that down a little bit. Like, let's tone that down. Like, let's wait until you at least hit puberty before we start Correct. acting right. acting this way. Um, but she's she's so uh, she is so special. And her and I have been through a lot in the past six years of her life. And uh, I'm so grateful that I get to be her mom. That. I've been trusted to do that. Um, it's it's a gift, and not every day is beautiful as a mom. Uh, but as a whole, I it is an honor to get to raise Raylan. Um, yeah. she's yeah. just a really special girl. She is. I mean, I remember like exactly where I was when I found out that you were pregnant when you called me. (laughs) And I remember seeing you for the first time, like as your belly was starting to grow and just like what life looked like and all the baby showers and everything. And I remember like where I was when I got my first picture, like after you had like given birth to her. And as she's grown up, like she just is so special. And I... I get what people see. Like she is just so full of life. She's so bright. And it's, I mean, of course she's absolutely adorable, but it's more than that. It's like, it is just the way she carries herself. And there's just something in her that you or me or her dad or her grandparents, no one could have concocted. Like it just is who (laughs) she is. Like she just is this person. But I also understand like, 
the weight that comes with protecting that and shaping Mm -hmm. that and kind of guiding that. And I remember when we were with you guys just recently, she was like obsessed with playing Candyland. That's like all she (laughs) wanted to do. But she had kind of gotten corrected a little bit the night before that maybe she had cheated or like won by (laughs) some unorthodox measures. And when her and I were sitting down, like so seriously, she kept reminding me that like, we don't cheat at Candyland. Like we do not do that. It's like, all right, that's fine. So she just, she's also just such like a magnet. Like when you say things to her, she takes it and she like really holds on to it. And one of those things that I feel like she's held on to is when you're pregnant, you know, I was praying with you for her and have continued to pray with you for her. Mm. But I prayed that she would be wild. Mm. Mm. I mean I'm it. still, I still, <laughs> I wish you knew how often I think about that and <laughs> There's a little bit of resentment For sure. that is in my heart about Look, these it. These are the but... hard years, but it'll be worth it in the end. Like I just wanted her, I don't know, when I just like prayed for her in her life, I just was praying that she would just have this like strong spirit, you know, because that will just carry her through so many things. But at this certain time of life as a six-year-old, <laughs> I do realize that's creating some complications. Yeah, she's learning a little bit of autonomy and realizing <laughs> like, I have the power to say no and I'll just stand here and look yeah. at you. And um, and you're yeah, like, that's... but we're in Target and you have to but, move. <laughs> right, but like, I'm your mom and I'm yeah. telling you to go do this yeah so, yeah, yeah it, it's it's definitely a lot of um guiding is the right is the right word there yeah um but yeah she's she is um when I was pregnant and was dreaming of like what her life would be her personality is exactly how I pictured her mm-hmm. um she honestly even looks the yeah. I, I I can't say I I don't want to say I like knew what she was going to look like, but when I would think of her, this is, she is what I yes. dreamed she would be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I don't mean that of fitting into my mold or my box that I want her to be. Um, now, she likes dresses a lot more than I expected. <laughs> she, does, she does like dresses. She likes sparkles. She likes colors, yeah. which is not really your vibe, but it is not your, exactly it is your mother, Graham Tam's vibe. <laughs> so I think yeah. it skipped a generation and it she definitely, definitely does that. It, it makes buying her did. gifts easy though. Cause it's like, you just find the most fun, bright, sparkly, cute thing that you can possibly find. And it's like, oh, Raylan's going to love this. Absolutely. Yeah. Like speaking of that, I still believe you hit the nail on the head with her sixth birthday Look, gift. Look, a squishmallow I mean, named Mitch. That's what every kid I, wants in life. You know? It's all good. She loves that thing. <laughs> she loves it. Fig and Loom is near and dear to my heart. If you don't know, Fig and Loom sells stunning Turkish rugs that are each individually named after babies whose lives here on earth were cut far too short, but their memory and their legacy live on, like Scott and I's Hosanna. Friends of ours actually bought the rug that was named for Hosanna for us for Christmas, and it is 
gorgeous and undoubtedly the thing in our home, the piece that means the most to me. These rugs are hand knotted. They're woven by women who really pour their hopes and their dreams, their celebration and their despair into the colors and patterns that they weave. And these rugs are designed to be passed down for years to come so the stories can continue to be told generation for generations. These are truly incredible heirlooms to add to your family. And the founder and my friend, Kelly Strife, was on the podcast back in the fall, and it's one of my all-time favorite episodes. And keep in mind, when you purchase textiles from Fig and Loom, you can actually get 15% off of anything with the code more with Nikki. So no spaces, more with Nikki if you want to get 15% off of your first purchase and see something that you would like to add to your home. I cannot express enough how gorgeous these rugs are and just how much they mean to the moms and the dads who are behind the names that these rugs are named for. So you can find them at figandloom.co and you can also find them at fig and loom.co on Instagram, like I said, and use promo code more with Nikki to get 15% off of your first order. Well, yeah, and I yeah. know I, you said that you guys have been through so much life together in the last six years. And mm-hmm. I have also gotten to be like a person on this journey with you, but I would love for you, this is kind of the big thing I had hoped that we could talk about today. I would love for you to tell your recovery story. So you mentioned that at the top, that you are a person who is in recovery. And when we were texting, you said that, I can't remember, you said that you're in recovery, you're not a recovered person. And, and so, I'm, I'm recovering, I'm not yes. recovered, yeah. Yes, and the reason this is so important to me is because it's your story, but also because... I have lived this in a lot of close family members or even other friends like in my life. And I have seen that it, it knows no boundaries and it knows no, it does not discriminate. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And so I, I would love for you to tell your recovery story and just kind of what that process has looked like so far and maybe what some of those like key moments in this journey have looked like. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to kind of start out like with where, how it even happened, because I think when educating people about addiction and substance use disorder, um, there can be misconceptions about even how it begins. And um, I think it's important uh, because if you don't understand the active addiction part, then you really can't appreciate the recovery. So, um, you know, it all begins somewhere and, you know, it it usually begins with experimentation. Um, that's kind of how it began with me. Uh, I was about 12 or 13, I think when I had my uh, first drink and, you know, for me, um, there's a lot of things that can that can lead to the curiosity with it. Part of it's just becoming, you know, a teenager and peer pressure and things like that. And it wasn't necessarily the peer pressure for me, but, you know, whether it's predispositions or your environment or trauma, um, usually for me, I wanted to escape. 
what I was dealing with. So I drank and I was like, whoa, like everything that um, I was carrying didn't feel so heavy. Um, I felt like I could fit in more. Um, and I, I started, I found the friends I, I knew were doing the same things I wanted to do. And, uh, when I found those people, it started leading me, my, my eyes got more open to different substances, um, different kinds of people. And my world got a lot bigger, a lot quicker, way too quick (laughs) in my opinion. And, um, Anyway, so basically I I went through um I went through years where I, I grew up going to a private Christian school. Um I then went to the same program that Nikki went to in Georgia, um called uh I think it might be called something a little different. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it, yeah. <laughs> okay. At the time, it was it was a gap year program. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was gap year program. So, um, did that, and uh, that was Christian based. And um, then I went to a Christian university, and I think all of those things that I was trying to do, um, and just dive into structure, dive into accountability was a way to kind of shove my addiction into this box and kind of like put a lid on it, put it on a shelf where I couldn't reach it in hopes that it would just go away. And, um, you know, when life hit or when things got hard for me or I was presented with an opportunity to use is like, okay, well, let me just, let me just open that, that lid just a little bit. And, um, the more I did that, the more I couldn't control when I was going to put the lid back on Mm -hmm. and it just started coming out and coming out. Um, and so there was a lot of measures I took to self-preserve. So to self-preserve my reputation, to self-preserve my education, um, to self-preserve my friendships, um, my relationships with my family. It was like I was just constantly looking to try to keep my world the same until I couldn't anymore. And um, all of a sudden, I I have a one-year-old little girl and uh, I couldn't stop and that was when I kind of I decided to go to rehab for the first time and um, it was actually right after Nikki got married and I remember us having those conversations around that time of like can you be here? What does that look mm-hmm. like? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? What does that look like for Raylan? Like, just how is this going to function? And talking about even the timing of it, like, would it be better for you to go into rehab right now and miss the wedding? Or would it be better for you to be here and then to immediately go into it? Right. 
Right. And I remember you kind of laying that boundary with me of saying, I want you here, Scott, want you here, but if you're drinking, you can't be here. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I respected that so much and I understood yeah. your heart and why you said it. And, um, so I was, I was detoxing really bad <laughs> at yeah. your wedding. And, yeah. um, yeah. I was, and thankfully we had a dry wedding for a million different reasons <laughs> that also helped. Well, I, I, I wouldn't have drank. I, well, I know, I say, no, I, I know. Say that. I yeah. say that, but I mean, um, yeah, that was, that was hard. And I knew it, I knew it was just a matter of time before I had to go to rehab um, because nothing else I had been trying was working. And it was but, complicated. I remember figuring out what does that mean for your job? And like, what does, what happens to Raylan? Where does she go? What does this look like financially? Like who pays for this? Like, I remember that mm-hmm. was also, I can just imagine some people listening and that could be a hindrance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, those were all hurdles I had to overcome. Um and barriers I had to deal with. But I had a few people around me that helped me work out those details um, when I couldn't. I mean, because it's like, how do you, if someone is so bad off in their addiction, how are you supposed to make financial decisions? And, you know, if, if you're not working, I wasn't working. Yeah. How am I supposed to pay for this yeah. when, you know, and there's so, but there are scholarships available, um, you know, just depending on, depending on your state, depending on what kind of treatment you seek, um, there are options. So it's, it's, it's not a reason to not get help, but I used it as an yeah. excuse to not get help totally. uh, for a while. And um, I came back from your wedding. I was so sick on my way back up to Lynchburg. And um, and uh, that, was a, that was a hard time. But yeah. m- one of my close friends, she, she basically was like, well, you said after Nikki's wedding, you were going to go to rehab. And you've been back for, I think, a week now. And you <laughs> you're still like, it's coming on. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went for the first time and, um, anyways, but you know, when I got out, I had all these intentions to stay clean. Um, and when I got out, I think about two weeks after I got out, I started using again and, uh, the shame I felt and the embarrassment I felt. And there was some misconception on my own part of rehab supposed to fix me. Oh yeah, feel free to put those in as well, like as your time story. Cause like, I think that has been one of the things that has been most helpful is just understanding my misconceptions or just general misconceptions that people have about addiction and about recovery. Even like we started at the top of this, that you are actively in recovery, that you're not on like, you've not like checked a box and like, oh, you're good now. Like there are so many things that I think I've learned and you've learned along the way. So feel free to share those too. Yeah, yeah, so- yeah, just because I go to treatment doesn't mean that I'm fixed. Um, 
especially when it's a 28 day treatment center <laughs> yeah. and um, you've been, and it's not just the drugs. Um, that's the problem. It's, it's me. So the drugs are a symptom of my addiction. Um, the root is much deeper than that. And if I want to recover, then that's what I have to deal with. Right. And it took me several years and several more rehab trips to come to terms with that. Um, and I didn't even come to terms with that through going to rehab. Um, yeah, that's what's so interesting about it. Yeah. I When I finally got clean, um, I didn't... I didn't do formal formal treatment. Um, I was uh, I had nothing left. Um, I didn't have. I I had basically thrown out my career. Yeah. Um, I had no job, no insurance. Um, Raylan was not with me. Um, I had zero dollars in my bank account. I had um, I had nothing. I couldn't go to my house um, due to other circumstances. Uh, I had gotten myself into legal trouble um, and I was completely bankrupt like mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, just Which bankrupt. if I can say is is so, I, I just like don't think anyone will understand like the fullness of that because like to know you who you are as a, like at your core, that is so the opposite of who you are. Like mm-hmm. just, I mean, even in, we were joking about it, you are such a planner. Like everything is planned. Everything's meticulous. I remember sitting in those classes and like you had your planner and you would like write everything like so specific. Like you really do well in structure and routine, even financially like you've done really well for yourself educationally like you have your masters like you've done so much so I think Mm -hmm. it's hard for people to understand just how opposite of who you are that time was you know and like you're talking about Raylan like she's your heart and soul so like even to have that separation like it was just so opposite of who you actually are your core which is the scary thing about it Right. And, and that was, that was kind of the place where I was at was like looking in the mirror and being like, who am I? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like what happened? Like, how did I get here? And, uh, there were a lot of decisions that I made and with those decisions that I made, things happened to me that were not my fault. Um, So it was a combination of my own decisions, other people's actions uh, that put me in this situation where I had nothing and uh, my family didn't trust me. Um, They were setting up boundaries with me. They were making arrangements to um, try to get, you know, to protect Raylan from me. And uh, that was a very 
lonely and painful place to be in. And um, I had been going to 12-step meetings on and off for years. Yeah, we went to a couple together when you were here in town. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, We've been there together. Yeah. mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, yeah, I, I I had been in the meetings, but I wasn't willing to do anything that I that was suggested to me. It was I wanted to do Rachel's way. And uh well, I just explained where that led me. <laughs> <laughs> and um I had a I had a friend who basically told me like you've got to do something different or you're going to die. And you had seen that like firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. From several people. And um, I knew that was the truth. You know, I knew that I really didn't have any other option but to, I had two options, surrender to the process of recovery or surrender to my addiction, which I had been doing. So was I willing and what did I have the courage to surrender to the process of recovery, not knowing what that was going to bring me? And not knowing what it would require of you, like what it would ask of right? you at each turn. And it has asked a lot. <laughs> it's Absolutely. given a lot, but it has asked a lot. Absolutely. So yeah, I think uh, now I'm trying to remember how I even got to Charlotte, but somehow I got to Charlotte and uh, my mom let me detox on her couch. And uh, I stayed down there for about a week until I was I was off of everything. And um, I rode, this is kind of a funny story. Um, I was riding the train back to, mm-hmm. back to Lynchburg. And I said, um, you know, I was like, I'm, I was clean off of everything. I was like, I'm really going to give this a chance, you know? And I got to the train station. Um, oh, I know. I know this story. <laughs> is this okay to share? Yeah, yeah, you can share. Okay. I mean, yeah, let, this is real life. This is really this what is happened. Re- <laughs> this is real life. I know. I was debating. I was like trying to figure out a way I could say yeah, this without yeah, saying you can it, share but it. You can share I'm it. just going to share it. Um, it's legal in, in Virginia, so. <laughs> right. right. Anyways, um, I, I went to the train station. It was like four in the morning and I was like, man, I'm about to start my recovery journey. Let's go back to Lynchburg. We're starting over. We can do this. Like I got this. And um, this lady was like, hey, uh, can I give you cash for a ticket? And you buy my ticket. They can't take cash right now. They can only take card. And I was like, yeah, no problem. So I got her ticket and she's like, come outside. I'll pay you outside. And she took me outside and hands me I, I, the money and a joint. And I was like, um, well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And I lit that thing up real quick. And um, I didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. And um, it was I was just so natural. Right. And, and, and that def- situation is so like, you were not seeking it. You were not looking for no. it. It just literally was handed to you. Right. And I think that's that's the insanity of addiction right Is there. Is that it feels like it's just so accessible all the time. 
Yeah, and that the insanity is that I had all intentions on riding that train back to Virginia and starting over and going to a meeting that day and just hit the ground running. Um, and at 4 a.m. <laughs> but as quick as I could yeah. think that, like that, I, I go, someone hands me something and it's like, well, they handed it to me. Or what am I going to do? What are you going to do? No? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, that was August 14th, 2020. So August 15th, 2020 is uh, my clean date. So this is the longest I've ever had in recovery. Um, I'll be coming up on three years here in a couple of months. And and you've always I'm been so, one that's so aware of dates. You know dates, yeah. you know numbers, like you've got them oh, down. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like a I'm like a filing cabinet yeah, you in my are. brain when it yeah. comes to that sort of stuff. And um so yeah, I I'm I'm so grateful. Um I'm so grateful for the life I have today. It's it's been quite the process and in in 12 step meetings they talk a lot about spiritual principles and that is really the foundation of of your recovery and so the spiritual principles things like acceptance faith um tolerance um surrender all of these things like honesty open-mindedness and willingness those are three of the most important ones um that are talked about because i have to get honest with myself i have to get honest with god i have to get honest with another person with other people in my life i have to be open-minded of you know okay this all my all my ways of doing things haven't worked so let me open my mind to the idea that another way might be yeah able to work better than my way and willing of willing to do whatever it takes um that no matter what kind of thing comes up of no matter what happens in life that i know that i know that i know that using a substance isn't going to fix it. Right. It it may temporarily numb it and then it comes back eventually. Um yeah. if you make it out of that. Because once I start, I can't stop. Yeah. So I've shown that time and time again. So um that's kind of like the the basis of my recovery and yeah. and <laughs> it's looked different at different times. Um the the longer I stay in recovery, the more full my life gets. Yeah, it's and been crazy really to watch thing. the life come back into your eyes and your face. Like it's so crazy to see photos of what your even your like. I don't know how to explain it. Like literally, the light in your eyes looked like when, or the lack of light in your eyes when you were in addiction versus now. Like it's just so interesting to you can see it. Like you can actually mm-hmm. physically see it. Yeah, I remember when people started saying that to me and I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you're about? like, that kind of hurts my feelings. <laughs> yeah, like, like I didn't know I looked that bad. Yeah. But then, um, you know, it's one of those things where you see yourself every day, so you don't well, realize. And I would say, I don't, 
I don't remember looking at you at that time and being like, oh, she looks so bad. I think when you stepped into recovery, I noticed you looked so different. Like, I I think like when you're in it, it's like you said, you see yourself in the mirror every day. I think it kind of felt that way for me, even as your friend, like you just looked like yourself because I had seen the whole progression. But then whenever I started to see you after that, it was like, oh, something's changed. Like something's different now. And I didn't see it before. It's just so interesting. And I mean, I would love to know too, like for someone who's listening, for two people, for the person who's listening, who thinks, hey, I might actually have a problem. I might actually, when you talked about that lid, I don't know that I can put that lid back on as easy as I thought I could. I know a lot of people feel this way after the pandemic with drinking. Like it was just a way to kind of pass the time and whatever through isolation. And I I know a lot of people who are now like, oh, okay, we're on the other side of this and it's a little bit more than I think I ever would have imagined. What would you say to the person who's listening who might resonate with the active addiction side of your story? Yeah, um, I think I think the biggest suggestion or advice I could give would be to explore it. Um, it is very scary to navigate that question because of, okay, if I say I have a problem, then kind of the following step is what are you going to do about it? Right. And that's scary. Yeah. Um, the unknown is, is scary. So I think being brave enough to ask yourself some of these hard questions, if this was taken away, what would I do? Um, how would I react? Um, and talk to someone that you trust, mm-hmm. someone that knows you, that knows your behaviors, that knows. Um, if you're afraid to tell someone how much you're drinking or whatever it is, yeah. or how often you're doing something, if there's a fear in you to tell someone that, then it might be a problem. Yeah. Um, or if you're hiding it, it's a problem. Um, but obviously the only one that can really tell you, if you don't believe you have a problem, there's nothing that anyone, anyone can, can tell you you have a problem until they're blue in the face. But if you don't believe you have a problem, yeah, then nothing's going to change. Um, but I think just having the courage to actually explore that is is a very powerful thing. I remember when I started really exploring it. Yeah. Um, I was only 22, I think, or 23. And um, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I've, I, I didn't get it right the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time. But I'm glad I explored it because all of it has given me a foundation for how I'm building my life now. A hundred percent. Well, and then like, what would you say to the family members and the friends? I mean, I remember as a family member to some of my family and as a friend to you and some of my other friends, like it can feel so helpless. Like you can just feel so powerless to do anything. And I mean, 
as someone who's been through this process on both sides, you've also been the supporting family member and friend. How do Mm -hmm. you support someone well in their process of recovery? How do you love someone well? Like what are some recommendations you would have for that? Yeah, I think, I think the answer really is different depending on whether they are in active addiction or they are in recovery. Yeah. So if someone is in active addiction that you love, um, boundaries are your best friend. And um, the hardest thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it's so easy to say, okay, um, this person's using you, so you need to set boundaries and you need to, to detach from this person and um, you you need to do this and do that and don't enable them and don't do th- what if it's your kid? I know it is um it's a painful process, but there are support groups, there are podcasts, there are yeah. resources out there to help the family members yeah. or the loved ones of the person struggling. So there are options and and a lot of times if someone is is kind of recovered if someone is watching a loved one slowly kill themselves in that way um there's this intense need or desire to do something i've got to do something it's an emergency yeah right and that's understandable um but if you want to do something work on yourself Mm. so why do I need to why do I feel this need to give them money when they ask for it or to violate my own boundaries because they needed me right now or um that's a really you know what what is my role in this Mm -hmm. and being able to really explore that is again painful but Mm -hmm. beneficial yeah and uh it'll help when they're in recovery too yeah because that that process doesn't stop once they stop using drugs so if someone's in recovery it's what can I do to support you Mm. I remember my sister calling me and I was probably about six months clean and I was walking into a meeting and she called me so I stepped outside and I was talking to her for a minute and she's like I just wanted to ask you, how can I best support your recovery? We love Becca. And I know. <laughs> and like, it stopped me in my tracks. Like it, the, I really couldn't even give her an answer. But the fact that she called to ask me that question meant the world to me. And yeah. it felt like I had her in my corner. Um, which is really what I needed is people in my corner that not only believed in me, but wanted to help me. One thousand percent. So I think it I think it looks different. Yeah. Um wh- whether you're in recovery or not. Uh, but there is always something yeah. to be done. I think I think a lot of times you hear like, don't enable the addict, don't enable the addict, and then and then the person who is used to enabling them is kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs or like you know white knuckling it not to enable that person but 
there's other things that yeah. that enabler can do. There are other active measures, yeah, that they can take personally and that they can take for the person that they love. Right. Yeah. I think that's really, really good advice. And I mean, you've been amazing in so many ways, but also I've seen people around you be really incredible. I mean, I think about your sister. She has been phenomenal these last couple of years, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think about friends that you have and your family and all of these people who have come around you and who are still there with you. And I mean, I've said this to you like personally, but I'm just so proud of you because I do understand that it doesn't, recovery doesn't require just a one-time transaction of bravery and courage. It requires it over and over and over on the hard mornings where Raylan's like (laughs) really (laughs) just unhinged and on like, you know, lonely nights and on stressful weeks. And I understand that it's requiring bravery from you and it's requiring a choice from you over and over and over And I don't think I will ever fully understand the cost that that comes at, but I've just been so proud to see you pay that for yourself and to pay that for Raylan and to pay that for your friends and family. And I'm just so proud of you and where your life is now, almost three years later is almost unrecognizable to where it was like in August, 2020. It's, it's truly incredible. And it's hard because I don't think people on this podcast can fully understand. Cause like I said, there's 13 years of friendship there. So there's just so much context, but I'm just really, really proud of you, Rach. And um, I'm excited. I think I always say this, but I think your best days are ahead. I really do. Um, I definitely think the worst are behind you. And <laughs> I sure hope so. I, I think you've, you've done sure enough of those. So. But yeah. I think your best days are ahead of you. And I'm just excited to see like what that looks like and to watch Raylan grow up and to watch your life change. And we've already seen each other through so many seasons, but I'm excited for the next ones too. I think they're filled with a lot of hope and I know that that's come at a price. And so I'm just really, really grateful that you chose life and that you chose to lean into that because like I said, I don't think anyone would ever understand just how hard it was or how much it took, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you saying that, that those words mean a lot coming from you. Um, just the amount of love and respect I have for you. And I, I didn't mention this earlier and I wanted to just mention it that, um, you know, we, we have talked about Raylan kind of woven into this, into this hour and um when I was pregnant I needed to choose a godmother um and that was something that was important to me and and why it was important was the way I saw it was not who's going to take care of Raylan if I were to pass um it was who do I want to have a special role in my daughter's life that my daughter can go to and that I know will be there for my daughter uh, in every season of her life. And there was no other person I could think of that would fill that role like Nikki would. And um, so Nikki got to be her yeah, got to be her godmom. <laughs> I have her photo behind my computer looking at me right now, her school yeah. photo. 
in it and it's Aunt Nikki. And um and then the other really cool thing is that she got this Uncle Scott. Yeah, she got a bonus. Along. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is like the best bonus ever. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I think I'm I'm ready to hire Scott to be a full time um Manny. Oh my gosh. For, you know that he was a Raylan? nanny for a while, right? Like in I, I did not know no, that. No, he it literally does not was. Like all. I think it was in college for like some family friends. They were like, Would you be like our manny? And he said, Yeah. And so there's like this photo of him with kids hanging off of his arms in the pool. He would be the best manny possible for Raylan. I, we I, love her with our soul. <laughs> I I com- I completely agree. I, I could see that fully, but um no, it's just been really it's been really cool to know that I have you and Scott in my corner Um, and not only in my corner, but in Raylan's corner. And you guys always make it um, possible to come up for her birth for her birthday every year. It feels like the least, like literally the least, (laughs) but I wish it was more. Yeah. I mean, but like we said at the beginning, life is so busy and um, we can't, we live eight hours from each other, nine hours, but, um, you know, and we've lived a lot farther than yes, <laughs> yes, farther apart in years prior. So this is the closest we've been in I years. Know. Honestly, I know it was easy. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's such a it's such a gift to have you guys in in our corner and um and just to be your friend um and have you as a support in my recovery. So I do really appreciate that. Yeah, um, I appreciate your friendship and Scott's friendship and. And just what you guys have meant to me, and uh, to know I have you guys, it yeah, it it means a lot to me. Y'all are family to me. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're family to us, and your family is my family, and vice versa. Oh yeah, like, oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's a full package deal. So we are absolutely we're in it for the long haul at this point. But mm-hmm. I just love you, and just really appreciate you taking the time to be so honest and open. And like we prayed before, I just. I hope that this reaches the right person. And I I trust that it will, um, that it encourages the person who's a support or it encourages the person who has questions about their own life. And um, you're just a really brilliant example of what recovery can look like. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see what comes next. So thank you so much. Thank you, Nikki. I really appreciate it. As always, I am humbled and amazed at the people that I get to know in life. And I'm so honored to call Rachel my friend. We could have talked for hours and hours more. So maybe I'll bring her back on soon and we can talk even more of the misconceptions of addiction and recovery and what the support system looks like, what she's learned through her education um, in the mental health profession. So I definitely think we might have to have Rach back, but I'm glad that you got to meet her and we together just wanted to share that if you or someone you know is struggling with substance misuse, the best thing to do is to find a trusted person and have that conversation. Um, Don't delay. If you feel that press today, please, we encourage you to do that today and just to trust the process just like Rachel has done and to know that it will lead you to a more abundant life, which I cannot imagine a more fitting a theme, a more fitting topic and story for this podcast. So I just hope and pray that if you resonate with any of this, that you're able to find more in your life. So until next time.